0: Hey, everyone, you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And this is not a new episode, but it might be new to a lot of our listeners, because this is actually going to take us back in time four years. This podcast has been going for four years, and we've made about Oh, just about 250 episodes now. And no matter when or where you started following us, first of all, thank you. But second of all, it's kind of nice for us to look back to December of, wow, December of 2019, when the Friends of the Ferndale Library helped us start this podcast. And we kind of knew what we were doing at the time. We knew we wanted to have a lot of author interviews, but I think when the show started, and in a lot of ways it is still holding to this, but when the show started, it was kind of setting out to defy misperceptions or stereotypes about libraries, you know, being quiet or being these kind of stodgy old buildings with books and finding opportunities to I guess it evolves evolve everyone's uh again perception of, of what a library is today and what a library can be too uh so you know how do we even say it uh we thought people's perceptions of libraries were places that were a little too quiet or something like that anyway we had like 12 ideas for names for this podcast and we, we left it up to the Friends of the Ferndale Library to decide what the name would be. And that was the one they voted for out of, the, out of the 12. And they were all full of library puns, of course they were. Anyway, let's get to our episode. This is a look back to our literal first episode ever. And it's with author Josh Mallerman, famous for writing Bird Box, which was turned into a hit Netflix show. This was four years ago. Josh has written eight or nine or 10 books since then, but this was way back when, way back when he was, cause obviously Bird Box came out in 2014. The movie came out in 2018. And then in 2019, he was releasing the sequel to Bird Box, which was called Mallory. So we talk a lot about that, but we also talk about his creative process. He's in a band here in town called The High Strong. We just talk about, well, we talk about a lot of things. Josh is always a great interview. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it play now and you can actually listen back to some of our original theme music, which was also composed once again by John Duffy. Here is our chat with Josh Mallerman. and thanks for clicking play on a podcast about a library. You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. I'm Jeff Milo, and I'm here with producer Kelly Bennett inside the Ferndale Library, a mile north of Detroit. And our guest today is author Josh Mallerman, the mind behind Bird Box. It's a hit Netflix film, of course, but it started out as a book that came out five years ago. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Josh's experiences in libraries, what he's been working on lately, and the pressure of keeping everyone scared. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Hi. I love that song, by the way, that introduction. introduction. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we should probably say that's created by a, a local musician. Isn't oh, it, it is? John Duffy of the analog synth duo Pato I Pato made that up for us. Man, I love that. I may have Indeed. to meet this guy. You should. He'll be <laughs> actually... He's going to be playing at the library because we have concerts here in this Ferndale library, of course. So musicians are constantly in this building. Like yourself, you're a musician. Yeah. I should actually
1: and have played in this library and done a
0: reading in this library. Oh, man. Can't wait to get to that. <laughs> so welcome, everyone, to the podcast. This is a little too quiet, and I should run down a little bit of Josh's biography because, yes, he's an author, published author, with several books that were released in a flurry over the last six years, really. Starting with Bird Box, your baby. And followed up by lots of others like Black Mad Wheel, and Unbury Carol,
1: and oh, uh, a house at the bottom of a lake, and very recently Inspection. God, it's weird that that's recent. That feels so long ago now. And when, when you're on, when you're on like the path of releasing like two books a year, mm-hmm. um, you know. So typically in for the last few years in October would be the second book each year that I've released. But this year we're not because of Mallory, which is coming out next year, next summer. And it inspection feels like ages ago. Right. It's and like, it's like six months ago or something. Right.
0: And for fans of the film bird box, who probably went back and discovered the book bird box, Josh buried
1: the lead right there and mentioned a book called Mallory. What's Mallory. Mallory is the, is a follow up to bird box. Um, sequel. It's, yeah. It's a sequel. It, it's a, More or less a day in the life many years later, Um, but the same, obviously Mallory um, and Tom and Olympia, who, if you remember from both the book and the movie, are boy and girl finally named Tom and Olympia. So they are now 16 year olds and Mallory, um, it's a day in the life with the three of them, essentially Uh, a very scary day in the life, 16 or 12 years, I guess, after the first book ends.
0: If you've not read Josh's books, you should know uh, he's been nominated for several awards. He's usually categorized in the genre of horror or thriller or suspense. Haven't won
1: any of those awards. Just wanted to note that. No, right. but still, oh, oh for five, I'm in third place for the most uh, nominations ever without winning. In so, Stoker, it's an honor just being nominated. Uh, well, that, that's you know, I have a card. So the guy that's in first place, this guy Scott Edelman, this really funny guy. He has like a punch card because he was nominated, I think, 10 times and he's never won. Wow. So he now goes to, well, he, he goes to Stoker Cons, but he'll hand us, me, people who are in the running, these punch cards that are like, you know, so you have five nominations and you haven't won. And on the card, it says, it's an honor to be nominated. But it kind of is though, right? Well, yeah, sure it is. Oh. But, you know, I still, you know, I still, God, I wish, I wish Bird Box would have won that one. It's funny. It's like, without, despite all this amazing stuff going on, and that's not saying Bird box is any better than mm-hmm. um, Maria Alexander is her name. and that's not saying it's any better than her book, but, but, you know, God, that one felt like a special moment. And I, I was so prepared, Jeff, I was so overly prepared. It was like the tortoise and the hair. Right. Me at that, right. At the awards ceremony. Right. I was like counting down the categories until I had to give a speech. Mm. I was, I was like, okay, Allison. it looks like we got like three more categories and then I got to get up and how, how's my collar look. Do I look good? I mean, it was like, I was like the, the, the hair. Yeah. Folded <laughs> paper in the, in the suit pocket. You had a, yes. Okay. Like I'm like, you know, drinking water to clear my throat. You know, when they, when they, when they said here, here's the announcement for best novel. I was like, I mean, a hand on the arm of the chair to stand up, you know, all prepared, smile on my face. It didn't win. So, yeah. I just think about how much
0: brilliant work actor Al Pacino put in <sighs> and wound up winning an Oscar for A Scent of a Woman. And I, you know, I hope that your book version of A Scent of a Woman performance isn't what actually gets it. I want your, your, your peak Mallerman, yeah, me too. Energy, not your your well, later career hoo ha stuff.
1: Not to um, you get there. We'll see where that goes, yeah. <laughs> but not to uh, whatever. But I do feel like something big coming lately. I was just talking to Allison about this recently. I don't know how to explain it. I don't. As an artist or something, you can start to gauge like how, because when you've made enough songs or books, you can start to gauge um, sort of a trajectory, you know. And and you realize like you've had you haven't peaked out. It's not an It's not like a single straight line or something, right? But you can see the peaks and valleys. And it, it, that doesn't mean the peaks are so high or that the valleys are so low and someone else may disagree with you. right? But I have a sense that something, something big is coming up next. That gives me suspense right now. <laughs>
0: I don't, I don't wanna ask further, cause I don't wanna ruin it. But uh, just in case no one knows who Josh Mallerman is, we should go back to reference how uh, nervous he was getting before his speech and then segue into how he's a musician in a band called The High Strung. And if you don't know the High Strung, but perhaps you're a Showtime viewer, then you've probably heard their song providing the theme song for this, the show, Shameless. So for 10 years now, nine years now. Yeah, it's crazy. Nine consecutive seasons yeah. have been
1: using the High Strung, yeah. Detroit's own High Strung song. Yeah, it's really, it, that is bananas for us, man. I remember uh, we had just practiced and I think I was still hanging out with Steven. And then, you're, you're a guitarist? Yeah, the guitarist of the High Strung, Steven Palmer. And then Derek Burke, the drummer, called me. He had just left practice, and he's like, "This is crazy." Uh, this woman that shops our songs to film and TV called him and said that she got us a theme song on Showtime starring William H Macy. And we were like, "What? What? What are you talking about?" And this is before the book stuff, too. Right. So, I mean, it was it would be exceptional either way, but I mean, it was really something out of nowhere for us at that time. Yeah, wild, yeah. wild.
0: Let's get back to the book stuff, sure. Because I want to ask specifically as uh, a horror writer, and uh, you've been writing all your life, you were what? A little teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you weren't little. Maybe No, I was. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> but I want to, I want to ask, uh, first of all, do you feel like, I wonder if this is common in the experience of a horror writer, that you, that you have to up the ante, that you have to get scarier, that you have to try something even further. It's almost like uh are you building haunted houses on page
1: let's take for example a house at the bottom of a lake right this is so this is about two teenagers who on their first date they they're being creative they go canoeing and as they're canoeing they pass over the like top the roof of a house it's like submerged 20 feet below them yeah yep and they're like wait what is that is that a roof and is it just a floating roof there's there can't be a house beneath this right Eventually this leads to a house underwater, this sort of thing. While writing that book, I, of course, I think all of us, um, in the field, um, have think about what you just asked, you know, how do I need to ramp this up? Do I not? Is it so obvious you know, there's always that danger of, and then, you know, where's the scare, right. And where's the scare. But sometimes I think that naturally some ideas, and I think Bird Box was like this too, I think some ideas are just frightening in and of themselves in and of themselves. So a house of I'm like, you're down in this house, what more do you need than it's cold, it's dark, it's wet, there's it's uh, unfamiliar, it's um it's impossible, mm-hmm. and you're only able to see by the beam of your flashlight. How much scarier do you need than that? And at some point, if you're and, and I think that it's important to be aware of that, like to be aware of how how scary is um, Annie Wilkes. Mm-hmm. By herself, rather than what she does, mm-hmm. right? How scary is like how dramatic of a thing does Pennywise have to to, to do, right? He's scared, or or, or um Reagan, you right. know, how dramatic does it does? If you think about it, she's in a bed the whole movie, right? Or most of the movie, right? And like at some point you realize, wait, this is this is scary. Where she, where Reagan is is scary. We don't need her. We don't then then need the mom goes to brush her teeth, closes the bathroom mirror, and Reagan's standing in the shower. Right. right. It's scary enough. We got her, like, we've reached scare. Uh, um, we've reached it. We got her in the bed, looking the way she is, saying the things she's saying. Also, And we don't necessarily have to ramp that up.
0: And she's, for me, scarier. Not when she's speaking in a Satan voice. Oh, for sure. But when she's speaking in the mother
1: voice of oh, the priest. That's the scariest That's part the part of scariest of for me, too. And that's too. not the scary Satan Why do you do this to me, Dammy, all that stuff. Yeah, that's the scariest stuff to that's me. That, that stuff haunted me. as The first time I saw it, that's, that stuff stuck with me a long time. Um, yeah,
0: <laughs> let's, let's go back to when you were younger and watching scary movies and having your mind warped, uh, if that happened. Um, and I especially want to ask, since this is a library podcast... Do you have any vivid memories or vivid experiences in libraries? You know, did you write in libraries? Did you go to your uh, library? Well, yeah, I mean,
1: yes. Growing up, so I grew up in West Bloomfield and I don't know if the library has changed. I I don't know if it's changed locations since I was a kid. I I doubt it. But I think the the building itself has probably been updated through the Mm -hmm. years. But, um, I definitely remember going there often with mom, et cetera. Um, and then in college I was in the library nonstop. Like we, you know, we didn't have Google. Um, I don't know. So there was,
0: so the library was a gathering place.
1: Yes. In a big way. Um, in terms of, but more, you know, more than just even reading, I mean, research, actual learning, if I wanted to find out about something, but my real experience, and you know, this, my real experience with the library started with, um, the band when a librarian named Bill Harmer, who now is in Connecticut, by the Mm -hmm. way, when he approached us about playing, doing a tour of, of public libraries, um, his original vision was that it was going to be in Michigan And at first when he proposed this to me, I was, I was a little nervous because he had just seen us play at a bar in Hamtramck Smalls. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've got this idea. You guys do exactly what you just did in a library. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm picturing, (laughs) I'm picturing him, I'm picturing us um, singing like, jing, jing, read, jing, jing, read, 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 you know, he's like, no, 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 exactly what you just did. Stand on your amp. Your bass player's crazy. You know, he didn't even, we didn't even know him at that point, you know? And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. He's right. like, I want. I would like to try the library as an all ages venue. Okay, so that led to, we said yes to that. And that mm-hmm. led to some, I don't remember how many libraries in Michigan, let's say two dozen. At least. Something like that, I right? Remember, yeah,
0: this is 2004. I know, it's crazy so to think this of that, is, man. This is like, we, uh, Kelly's right here, the producer. She started a music series here, live music in 2010, 2009. You know,
1: Bill, getting loud I think in the library. Bill worked at a radio station or a record okay. store. And then, but he was also, and he is also real serious and committed to like libraries. And so I think that he was looking for a way of combining his two worlds. Mm-hmm. I really do. And then we, for some reason that night at the bar, we struck, we seemed to open that door for him. So uh-huh. we did the 40, whatever it was. Now the number's 40, public libraries in Michigan. I think Michigan. it was 41, actually. I think it was 40, so yeah, okay. We did the, so we did the 50 libraries in Michigan. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, Bill was like, "You want to try this nationwide?" Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, for a few years, we played something like sixty libraries a year in the summer months. Usually, N- NPR covered you. You were yep. You were the library band. Yep, and it mm-hmm. was us in a Harry Potter theme band. So, but it was like <laughs> it was a weird thing because it's like you had to sort of explain Bill's philosophy every time it came up, which was this is an all ages venue. We're not. We're not here you know, we're not a vanilla, you know, like harmless band. In a, I mean, in a way we are, in a right. way I guess every band is in a way, but right. but it's like, but th- we're not just here to like, you know, for little kids to like read. It's not it's reading. Not quiet our, folk music. Right? This is like, let's let's turn this into an all ages venue. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought it was an absolutely genius idea. I know it was. And then I don't even remember exactly why that wound down. I think just after three or four years of it, it was like, all right, we did that. But that was a, a extreme uh, experience with libraries. I right. mean, because every, every night we were meeting somebody who, you know, it was their job to, you know, pro, like set up these events, right. that sort of thing. Usually it was the head librarian in like a tiny town. Oh, it's another thing is that because these weren't traditional venues, we found ourselves in cities that bands would normally never go to uh-huh. and surrounding other like major cities, that kind of thing. Your library is the place to find it. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And, that's what we're trying to
0: talk about on this podcast: is how the definition of what a library can be uh, evolves. You know, oh yeah, you can, if you want, come to your local library. This was your local library for for five years, actually. Five years, yeah. You lived here in Ferndale. You can come to your local library and let's say um, blindfold a room with sixty people <laughs> yeah. if you want. Yeah, and you could do that, <laughs> which brings us to our next experience mm-hmm. in the library in the library world for you. Is you you were reading Bird Box here in twenty fifteen because we were doing a
1: citywide book club about it. Yeah. Um, so sort of patting ourselves on the back. That was there. amazing, man. And then also your, um, were you guys linked with Go Comedy? Like, So Go Comedy, across the street from us here at the library, volunteered to do uh, improv sketches inspired by your book. And then to think that that was years before the movie, like four years before the three, four years before the movie, that is interesting from... I think they still call themselves the bird box players, mm-hmm. and that's that's very interesting from their perspective. So I went. I think it was every weekend for a month, right? Mm-hmm. So I went three other four times, and I of course I was like out of my mind, loved it, you know. And I was like, this is crazy, you know. And then, but they there was full houses there, mm-hmm. I, you know. And they were blindfolded. They couldn't go outside. They couldn't look. They, they made fun of like calling out. And there were scenes where they would go out in the audience blindfolded. This is like three or four years before Sandra Bullock plays Mallory. Right. And right. that's like an interesting. Before the Twitter challenges. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like they were like capitalizing on something. Right. It was like you guys had like a book of the month, you know, yeah, that's the, right. the read of the month. It was, it was a read of the month. And they were like linked to that. And mm-hmm. they did something that in hindsight, you know. Mm-hmm. Seems like very, you know, which Questioned.
0: might answer my next question of what your favorite thing about living in Ferndale was. That kind of is it, right? That this is the place where that can happen.
1: Oh, your you memories. mean the, the, the town? Yeah. Yeah, you're here
0: from 2013 uh, ish to 2018
1: ish. Yeah. And yeah. between you and Denny, you know Denny at the library bookstore the, down, down the street from us, yeah. downtown from You know him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he comes in here a lot, right? I call him Dennis. Yeah. You can call him Denny. Oh, you call him Dennis? Yeah. <laughs> I know I see Danny like or I used to see him like every single day. Yeah, to have you and him is sort of uh, in the same town is like uh Danny's um probably the most knowledgeable horror sci-fi person I've ever even met and that includes you know all these authors and conventions I've been to. That dude is an encyclopedia, man.
0: No, for sure. Yeah. Um Let's get back to Bird Box becoming a movie and what that was like for you. I'm sure you've gotten a million interviews about that, but Mm -hmm. now that you're two years beyond the experience, a year and a half beyond that experience, you know, can you still talk about how you had to process that
1: specifically how it blew up? Yeah. I mean, I could give you like, and I will, I'll give you, why not? I'll give you like Mm -hmm. a numbers example because it's more fun. I think it's more interesting. So when Bird Box came out, it sold, I don't know, like a hundred copies this first week, something like that. And then another hundred in second week, something like that. And and it did that same steady number for about four years, which is somewhat astonishing. Mm-hmm. You You have the initial run and it's either huge or small and maybe there's a peak or this or that along the way. But for whatever reason, that book stayed about exactly the same amount of sales it had every week for years. As, as it's the week it was released. This thing just kept, like every week it would be like, oh, it sold like a hundred and something or 90 something or a hundred and something. And you're like, what is it's going on? It's like this very steady word of mouth. It wasn't like an explosion, it wasn't viral, but it also wasn't forgotten and it, mm-hmm. it didn't like slip through any cracks. Mm-hmm. So the week that the preview came out with Sandra Bullock and all, the, and all these actors and you know, the book sold 300 copies that week and the publishing house called me and my agent and they were like, you know, we just wanna let you know that this could be as, as big as it gets. I mean, we don't know. We just, you know, now the book title's everywhere. It's in all these ads and there's Sandra Bullock's face and, right. and it sold 300 and that's pretty damn good. It spiked three three times. And we were all like, there wasn't even a peep from my end my team, there wasn't a peep of like, "Are you crazy? Brace yourself." None of that. We were like, "Oh, maybe you're right, man. This might be it." But yeah. who cares? This is all so exciting, right? The first week that that movie came out, Bird Box sold twenty thousand copies. I can't fathom that. The first week, wow. And this went on for like weeks. Oh my God. So imagine now. Go back to we're not even that much. You know, a month or so before this, that windfall, Mm -hmm. and again, me, my agent, who's all business, my manager, who you know knows this business and you know predicts things all the time, my lawyer, who's been in a million scenarios, he he reps the guy that wrote Cold Mountain and other stuff. So, I mean, you know, none of us are like, oh, it's going to be more than three hundred guys. Sure, you know, we're all like, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe this is it. Well, that's pretty damn good. Sure. So you that should underscore how unfathomably shocked we all were by what happened with this. My favorite bird box joke is, who could have seen this coming?
0: (laughs) And if you haven't read it or seen the film, we're we're kind of spoiling that the characters cannot, for risk of their own life, look out of their own window. Something has befallen the earth, the earth really, and there's something going on out there that we just can't look at. Otherwise, it'll drive us mad, so we have to wear blindfolds. Well, let's talk about a little bit about your other books and maybe talk about something whether or not you do this consciously or not. Bird Box isn't a dystopia book, even if people think it might be. I agree. Uh, Black Mad Wheel isn't a war novel, even though it involves army soldiers and people might think it might be. Unberry Carol isn't a Western, even though people might perceive it to be. Do you consciously try to stay in that gray area where you're not really able to be pinned down?
1: Well, I gotta be honest. This is something that's like worried me through the years. The high strung, I used to worry. I always worried like are we, we're too rock for the hippies and we're too, we're too quirky for the punks, you know, we're too. And so I always worried about us falling into that same gray area. And I find myself now with novels and I don't know if it has to do with the year 2000, you know, 14 to 19, like the era we're in, that, um, audiences like want something that's like blurs those lines. Cause Mm -hmm. it seems like I see a lot of articles online. Um, you know, what, what is horror now? Like, you know, and how elastic the genre is with what Jordan Peele has done and with Ari Aster and, and even the witch, which is clearly a horror story, but is so slow and moody. And, and so I find myself like almost accidentally or what's the right word? Um, like, finally, that that gray area that I feel like I've always always been in my life. Like, in high school, I wasn't, you know, a popular kid, but I wasn't a nerd either. You know I mean? I was like, you know, that, I've always been this sort of in-between right. space. Like I'm like a tweener in all ways. Right. And so then somehow the books are, are like, there's like a space for that for me or something. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that I've like, you know, I'm like, oh, shoot, something I'm doing like actually belongs. And without... It's not like I ramped up the violence. Right. I'm like a hardcore badass now or something. No, no, no. It's still, as you say, and I'm proud of that, that it is in this gray area. Right. But that's accepted right now. And that's like, that's uh, even sought out right now in music too.
0: But at the same time, you also have to be careful. You don't want to ever allow yourself to be hemmed in by definition. Right. Because if you were like the horror master, then you'd have to like, start going around wearing a cape with a snidely mustache well, and probably talking- Both to, sound amazing. And maybe carrying skulls in your knapsack <laughs> or whatever. Or maybe you appeared, we should we should let people know that Josh refused to show up the library unless he could have a smoke bomb and he would just appear <laughs> out
1: of the ether. That was how he had to do it. We That'd be are- amazing if I was just back here like uh, you guys were walking by and I'm just sitting here like, hi. Right. And you're <laughs> just waiting and it's like foggy in here.
0: You thought I was joking earlier when I told you we were going to pour pig's blood on you at the end of this. So <laughs>
1: no, I'm ready. Just,
0: I'm you're ready. ready. But you know what I mean? There, there are the, those tropes, right? Yeah. And we're just joking on horror tropes. You don't want to be. No, I guess, yourself. I guess
1: not. You know, I, I think that. Um. David Robert Mitchell and Ari Aster and all these guys would probably say this. Jordan Peele would probably say the same thing, that they don't want that either. But at the same time, oh, my God, I'm like, I have fully embraced the genre for sure. Sure. You know, um, mostly it's I've been on a strict horror diet for, you know, 20 years. It's right. Terrible for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, there's a million aspects that like I'm I'm in. I'm into the genre. But right I'm very careful that you know when I read because um, there's a lot of stuff out there that is like really like violent and and, mm-hmm. and uh, not supernatural violence even like where you're just like why am I even reading this yeah you know? and then I'm very careful not to be like okay well this sells right you know and like no 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 let us just keep keep leaning or being excited thrilled by these as you say gray area ideas right. right and let's just let's just roll with that I think Rod I think the finest example of was it. What genre was it? Is the Twilight Zone? It—it mm-hmm. it, it so much can go back to that the stable of writers: Bradbury, Beaumont, Matheson, uh, William Nolan. I mean, it's crazy that the stable that was writing for that show that crew and that guy like like there's a lot of people who relate to like guys my age who relate to the beats Mm -hmm. or relate to you know um like the clash like the punks that kind of thing but those dudes the twilight zone writers is the is the crew that i relate to yeah And, and they were writing in that gray area for sure and since we're in a library and talking about
0: books if you've never watched the twilight zone maybe start with time enough at last yeah starring burgess meredith yeah where he wants to nothing to do but to read books you know, it's also interesting about that is, yeah, you don't want to get preoccupied with the thrill or preoccupied with the violence or whatever you. And if you are preoccupied with anything, it seems like it's the search. A lot of your characters and a lot of your books are uh, on a progression or going somewhere or looking for something. They're looking for a house in the water. Yeah, they're looking for safety in Bird Box. Uh, you have this interesting two characters are on almost a chase throughout. My favorite of yours, Unbury Carol, and there is a search for the truth in Inspection. There's a lot of searching going on in your books. No, that's
1: that's interesting. I, I think you're the only person that's ever pointed that out to me. And the river is the trail, right? Is uh, the desert is. You're i mean, looking for, for something. Josh is looking for well, something. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know I want it to be big, and and I just want it to be so scary. I have a I have a whole list of ideas. Um, I text myself every single idea because, you know, like Mitch Hedberg has this joke that he's in bed. And if he comes up with a joke, he either has to write it down or he has to convince himself that it's not that funny. And and so with every idea I have, I'm like, don't even, don't even ask whether or not it's good or bad, write it down. So I have this like master list, but that can start to become daunting, you know, when there's a list of like 20 stories or 30 stories and you really actually want to write every single one of them, you know? Yeah. But sometimes I wonder, because I think you would agree, maybe you wouldn't, is that, I mean, you could take, like, a book like um, Mrs. Dalloway, right? She'll buy the flowers herself. And, right. And it's it's and everyone would say, this is the book that split the atom. And it's like, the if I just told you, if Virginia Woolf was here and told us what Mrs. Dalloway is about, we'd be like, oh, that sounds really good. No, let's see. Whatever. <laughs> but it's like, obviously, it's all how it's done, right? right? Right. So, and Catcher in the Rye, the same thing. What's it about? Oh, uh, well, it's, um, hmm, it's about this unsettled youth. And oh, that sounds, you know, that sounds... Anyway, what, got anything more thrilling? Right. And it's the most like, thrilling, you know, right. soul rattling book ever. Right. So with that list, it's very, I try not to just like rattle, you know, go down. Okay, man buys a hunting online. Okay, man you know, wakes up, he has no feet. You know, it's like actually stop at each idea and try to imagine like, how can it be done? That would be something like give each little dinky idea it's due oh, man. <laughs> that's a t- give the dinky idea. It's due. <laughs> and <Yeah>.
0: that's like, <laughs> well, that's a, no, that's a professional term. Yeah. So it, those are your, true. your text it's, messages it's, to yourself. It's, it's true. Or just, but <laughs> do you, and then I got, I'm just, that makes me curious. Like there's gotta be a different way that you would approach if you're writing lyrics for the high strong and
1: well, it, just recently. So I watched last night, I watched, um, classic albums, uh, rumors. Oh, Flewynn Mac, oh, yeah. it mm-hmm. was mind-blowing. If you guys haven't seen that, it's on Amazon Prime, that classic album stuff. Mm-hmm. Watch that episode. Okay. It's going to blow your mind. Okay. And at one point Christy mcvee was saying that she's reached a point now in her life where she has to write lyrics first. And I totally agree. And forever when we were younger, it was just like, "Oh, this is an exciting melody. Da 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 da." da. And then the chord changes. "Oh, man, that's great that shoot. Now I got to sing something." But now you reach a certain point where you're like, "I actually want I don't want to just sing something. I want these to be great, even if it's just "I love you the best," better than all the rest. Like, I just want to make sure that that's straight first before we sing it. Just nothing, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. So, so that also happened over the last six years.
0: Hmm. That, like correlating thing. with your author life,
1: maybe? yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, we're in the Ferndale Library here once again, and we're very excited that people are listening to this podcast. We are nearing the ten-year anniversary of this building being renovated and reopening. Wow. And your band played here. Wow. For the kickoff party. Wow. Oh, nine. or no, it was 2010. 2010. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May of 2010. Yeah. How about wow. It? August of 2010. That's why we had the producer here, Kelly.
1: <laughs> Thank you. In the you. studio well, I, with us. I planned that. That was Kelly's event, but you were here. No, but that's unbelievable. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it still it still feels all of a piece to me. I don't know how to explain that. Like you've mentioned that with the band, it's like a it's, yeah. It's not. Well, it, I I don't know what it is. I feel that way with age. I feel that way with with relationships. Um, even though when I met Allison seven years ago. Somehow it still feels like, and then everything obviously changed dramatically when you fall in love, right? Right. But even even with that and even with the books and um, even with the movie Bird Box and even with all this stuff and all these gargantuan changes, it still all feels like of a piece to me. That's good. Yeah, That's good. That means you can manage it psychologically. Yeah. Well, I think the reason why is I think that my personal reality is tethered to writing. Mm-hmm. So if you're always writing and that's sort of your anchor, right? Mm-hmm. Then anything that happens to you or for you or anything that you do or decisions you make are all still tethered to that idea. I'm writing novels. That thrill, whatever, hasn't changed in iota. It also grounds you. That's what I mean. I in think that it kind of grounds you. And I also yeah. think that this Bird Box stuff happening, which I'm insanely grateful and happy for. Sure. Um, it happening when I'm in my f- 30s and 40s, because um, I, I got a book deal when I was thirty seven. Right. I think that that also goes a long way in in it not rattling the foundation. If this had gone on when I was like twenty three or something, yeah, dude, yeah, I can't say in a family friendly, you know. Well, sure, sure. <laughs> That's it, what I would be doing with with all my money. No, I'm just kidding. Imagine but it's just it's just like I don't I don't even know where I would be psychologically at twenty three yeah. you know, if this was going on then, dude. It's probably good
0: to remind yourself, uh, even though even if there's like a hot air balloon with your face on
1: it. And fireworks and right. who knows what. And uh, like, okay, let's say that was happening. I would, at this, whenever I was 23, I'd be yeah. like, woohoo! Woohoo! And, you know, <laughs> and spend now, your money. Now it's like, I would be like, oh, that dude writes every day. Right. Defining
0: yourself as, okay, well, that's great. There's a big old hot air balloon and right. fireworks, and there's a, I'm a writer. I,
1: uh, yep. That's all well and good. Yep. And I have a sense that the, you know, the, the writers who I can't, someone like Hemingway is different than someone like Stephen King, who like just, it's, it's just different. It's almost like Hemingway created a character also, mm-hmm. even without doing quite like what Bob Dylan did or something, but there's still, Oh yeah, a sense I get that. that. He did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I don't, I don't know if he, you know, for a guy like him and it also for him, he had a different type of success. And when he was younger, Um I wonder if, I wonder what that did to him. He was still able to put out like, Holy cow work throughout his whole life. I mean, I think, Oh man, this his last book, right? Mm-hmm. And that's arguably his best. Mm-hmm. So I, I think about that often, how some of these guys and girls, how do you maintain like the world anoints you the greatest band Beatles when you, 1964, and then you go on to do the greatest albums ever. Right. Like, where did you find that resolve with all that like bizarre pressure and attention? And thats it's, a, it's interesting. It's a, a steel focus. It, it really is. It has to be. And I think Hitchcock was like that. I think, um, Stephen King is for sure like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just output. I mean, that's, that's definitely a part of it, but it's also, there's a sense of like, um, uh, life, like vivacity in, in what they're putting out, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: was there any pressure to, uh, adapt. And by that, I mean, uh, go into, uh, a short story format and, Knowing that you would be maybe writing for the screen, I'm referring to you wrote an episode for the rebooted Creep Show, yeah, which is on uh, the streaming service Shudder, and that involves uh Greg Nicotero,
1: yeah, of uh Walking Dead fame. What was that experience like? Oh, that was amazing. So, uh, one of the producers, Brian Witten, reached out to me and asked if, um, and i had met Brian in LA to talk about other projects once, and he a couple times, and he wrote me about do you have any short stories or anything that could work for Creepshow? And I was like, wait, I I love Creepshow. And I started telling him all about, as I've told you, how much I love the soundtrack and the movie and all this. And then, which is my style, I was like, why don't I send you, I sent him like 10 stories or something. (laughs) I was like, one of these got to work, man, you know? And then um, him and Greg Nicotero called me and that they wanted to buy two of them. Okay. So House of the Head was one. And this is an interesting thing real fast. I don't know what floor it is in the DIA that has like the African art, like the old stuff. Is it the first floor? I say it's the first Andy, if
0: not the ground floor.
1: yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. So oh, yeah. in there, and I don't know if it's still there, there was this like little wooden something like mask or something. And it was called the house of the head. Oh Allison and I were in the DAA this is years ago now and I was like wait how's that what does that even mean it's like this little mask like you know or something like that and then I was like this is the greatest title ever Allison I gotta write this story I gotta write <laughs> and she's like you know or I don't know what she said but I was like I don't want it to take place in a museum I just I just want that title mm-hmm. I went home and wrote the story and it has nothing to do with the DIA blah blah, blah. so anyway they say that they wanted to um, make that one and then my manager Ryan asked them you know if I could write the script. And they said, yeah. And I was a little nervous because- yeah. Interior, day, bedroom. It's like, oh God, I don't know if this is like natural for me, but, um. so you're all excited for the gig, mm-hmm. right? You're like, oh my God, I'm gonna, okay, I'm doing something for Creepshow. They wanted this is unbelievable. And then you're like, oh, this better be good. <laughs> 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 is
0: there anything else I think you could tell us? Mallory is coming out in May of 2020.
1: Yep. And I am freaking thrilled about that book right now. I'll just tell you, is there a time limit on these? Is there in general? Well, we'll, you guys got all day? We'll just cut you off. (laughs) Okay. You just just go. So I wrote, um, I wrote Mallory uh, a draft of it in February where I just bolted through it. And the reason why was I recognized what was going on with Bird Box and that there may be attention for another story in this world. And I had a thread that I had removed from the rough draft of Bird Box um, that there just wasn't room for it, I guess, that made the book about twice as long, really. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna use that. What if I use that thread in a different setting, but it's still Mallory, but years later, this is great. Cause then it also felt like the original idea came from the same pool, all this stuff. So I wrote it in like a flurry. I think it was 15 days or something. Gave it a rewrite, sent it in to the, oh, then people are, you know, talking, hey, we would like another, well, you know, Del Rey is asking for a follow-up possibly. Good Lord. And I'm like, well, here it is. That's like 18 pages a day. Yeah, it was. That's like 20 pages a day. It was like 18, 20, it was like 20 pages a day or something. And so then, so then um, they were like, we are interested in a, in a second. I'm like, great, I got one for you, you know? And I felt really like, whew, got Got past, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen possibility, all that kind of thing. Problem is, there was something just inherently, what's the right word? Just, I hate, I don't know how to say this, like non, not bird boxy. And I don't know how to say it. It just didn't seem like gelled. Mm -hmm. And they liked it and they gave me notes. I rewrote it. They gave me notes again. I rewrote it. They gave me a line edit, dude. That is line by line for 300 pages edit. Oh. And I said, and that that's like the last s- step normally. Mm-hmm. I mean, because now we're down to the nitty gritty. Like, right. you know, your word echo and this. Now we're not talking about structure. And I was like, thank you for making this line edit. It probably took you like a month to do this. But can I... Can I start from scratch? Just what? write a whole different, just a whole different book. I was like, throw me the ball again. I'm going to get a hold of it this time. Oh my gosh. And, and she, she was without missing a beat. She was like, okay. Wow. And I was like, are you, are you serious, Trisha? She's amazing. This editor, Trisha Narwani. And, um, I was like, are you, are you sure? And you just spent like a month and we've been working on this for months, you know? And she's like, yeah, go for it. And I did. And it's, and we, it's awesome. Yeah, my and she's like, oh my God, this is so much better. This is, it's just so much richer, so much more fun. It's really focuses on Mallory and Tom and Olympia. And whereas in the other one, it seemed like they were three of a cast of characters, you yeah. know, but then there was the setting up of these other characters and this world building. It just, it just did not feel like the right thing at all. And it's interesting to me because in a couple ways, number one, I'm a numbers guy, as you know, and I keep. Like steady track of how many books I've written, that kind of thing. So, number, books number 29 and 31 are Mallory. That's interesting to me. What's ever going to happen to that other Mallory? Mm-hmm. Nothing. But right. it's just interesting to me that this other version just exists. Right. I don't know if I have another example. I know that when Ken Kesey wrote Cuckoo's Nest, he finished it and then said, What if this was told from Chief's perspective? Oh, man. And it changed the world, really. Yeah. And, but I don't like that's. Uh, that's different than what I went through. Mine was like, you know what? Screw it. Whole new story. It Let's try it again. Story, yeah. Right. But I don't know if I have another example of a book. I don't know. I just, I've never heard of an author uh, oh, that did that necessarily. I'm sure it's been done, Yeah. but I just don't know of that. Like, I don't know of that with like, you yeah. know, anyone in the genre or outside the genre or anything like that. Yeah. But I guess there was that pressure, I guess, to be bird boxy. And, you know, there was a sense. And then it struck me like, wait, why? There, like there are, um, characteristics of this world or of this book, of the book, Bird Box, there are characteristics of this that are like fun. Mm-hmm. Like, why would, why did it have to be so different? Mm-hmm. Why can't it be similar in these few ways? And mm-hmm. then everything just like exploded from there, so. Before I let you go,
0: I should let people know, you mentioned books 29 through 30. Yes, you put out a book in 2014, you were published, but you've been writing books since you were 17 years old. Yeah.
1: You've got manuscripts galore. Yep. So, my office is insane right now. I need a second crate. I have filled up the writing crate. And that may sound like, um, that might sound like, well, you've been writing forever. Of course you have. But actually go get like a crate, like like a crate this big. And, and like you realize it's t- thousands of pages to fill that thing. Right. You don't. it doesn't look like it, but when you start to fill it, you're like, Dude, I've written like 10 books and this is only half full. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing. If you guys have a crate here or something that I could have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's I think that's just important to note. You weren't some like uh fly by night, sudden success author who just popped up in the world in 2014.
1: I've had some friends tell me that, that because of Bird Box that that, at their jobs or whatever, a coworker will be like, oh, I heard that um, my bandmates told me this. Well, I heard your, uh, I heard Josh from your band, you know, wrote a book and it was successful. I'm going to write a book now, you know, <laughs> and then Stephen's like, ah, uh, well, I mean, no, do it. But, sure. but it, he, well, he didn't just write a book on a whim, you know, right? Yeah. Um, but and I would then, never discourage anyone from doing that. Just saying <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about uh,
0: Josh's time as a resident of Ferndale. Um, he's since left, but we're going to claim him as our own forever. But uh, he was a constant, and this is for anyone out there listening, he was a constant library visitor. And it's not like he necessarily checked things out. You would come here with dime store paperbacks, <laughs> some 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 what sometimes like like pretty trashy stuff.
1: <laughs> but in the horror genre, in the yeah, horror yeah. Genre, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah.
0: And you would just uh, post up and read.
1: Yeah. You remember that? I love this place, man. This was man. the place for yeah. that. I wrote here too. I wrote, um, oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember what book it was. There was one that I wrote here a few a few sessions with. But, but you found this place to be, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You found this place to be a... Oh, yeah. No, it's like, in. well, see, in terms of like writing and in terms, because like Allison, right, needs, as an artist, needs like canvas and space and be a mess, right? Right. But in terms of being a writer, like I like to be around people that are working right. or, or, or that are just like engaged put it that way mm-hmm. rather than a coffee shop setting so like the first book i wrote wendy was at a coffee shop but a law it was like all law school students and they were all i mean i would come it was a 24-hour joint and i would come and they were like all nosing their books and it was like all right let's get to work right and there's a sense the library is not so st- stringent like that but there is also a sense here of like you're here let's just get to work let's do it yeah and like i to me that sort of that motivates me to be I'm around that, kind of- that element
0: And that was our chat with author Josh Mallerman. We were talking about Mallory. That was way back in 2019. This podcast started uh, and really premiered like the January 3rd, 2020. So just about four years ago, we did, just to catch you up, we did about three months of in-person interviews here in our podcast studio. And then we switched to Zoom for much of quarantine. We kept the episodes going. And uh, the rest is history. If you've started following us in the last year, last two years, last three years, last four years, either way, thank you so much for listening. The music is always by John Duffy, which is great. Uh, and you can also just dive even further back into our archives and hear some great interviews. We also often talk with lots of amazing uh, bestselling authors like Lauren Groff or Stephen Rowley or Lucy Clark or Grady Hendrix and on and on. And uh, aside from that, we just wish you a happy new year. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and visit FerndaleFriends.org if you want to find more information about the Friends of the Ferndale Library. We'll be back again soon. Take care.